Hi, everybody. Welcome to a brief user's guide to the mind. The reason I'm doing this video is because on New Year's Eve, uh, for about a decade and a half to two decades, I used to have a little gathering in which I'd invite people over to do our annual vision boards. Now, vision boards were made popular uh, by the film The Secret, but the secret of the secret is that most people did not have their vision boards manifest in their real life as the year went on. And why is that? On the other hand, some people did. Why is that? What is it about the way we use our mind that allows some people to have what appears to be so much abundance and joy, creativity, and even prosperity, and other people to left flounder, to look at their life as though it's something that just has to be endured and hopefully with any grace when it's over, they'll be free of the pain. Why is it that life can be perceived so completely differently by two different people? So I want to start this journey by going back and I want to also credit a few people before I continue so I don't have to constantly be sourcing everything. Now, uh, some of the influences for the way I view the human mind come from uh, Amit Goswami, his book, The Physics of the Soul, I thought was really profound in some foundational understandings. Um, Bruce Lipton, Biology of Belief. I interviewed him when the book came out 15 years ago, and it really dovetailed nicely with some of what I believe in my experience of the human mind. Also, um, Don Miguel Ruiz, inspirational Toltec um, author, and uh, his whole notion of uh, your life is your canvas, and you better paint it the way you want, or somebody else will. Love that concept. We're going to talk about that. Also, several years of hermetic training and um, the guidance from astute guides over the last three decades. All of these things have come together um, to create for me a real passion of wanting to really understand the human mind and our creative capacities and how they manifest in this world. Because that's the greatest frustration most people have. Life doesn't turn out the way they want. Why? That's what we'll look at here. Let's begin at the beginning. I'll tell you a little anecdote first. Uh, this was about 17 or 18 years ago, so it would have been around 2002, 2003. Um, I had a uh, ca casual acquaintance in the city of Sedona uh, that I'd have tea with on occasion, bump into him at the coffee shop. But now, he was an elderly gentleman who had been the science advisor to a former president. And so I don't want to get into names. I don't know if he's living or dead at this point, but I just want to share a little incident that happened because it became profound in my understanding of mind. So we were chatting over tea and he said he was working on a new book. And I said, well, what's it about? He said, I am looking for the organizing principle behind how a brain, an individuated mind is created. Because you can have people born into the same genetic pool, same parents, same nurturing, but they come out completely different. The way their minds operate is completely different. What is the thing that determines this? I said, well, do you know the answer? He said, no, but I will by the time I finish the book. I said, all right. We had a little chuckle, and that was the end of the conversation. I wake up the next morning, and upon awakening, I had this voice speaking to me, which happens on occasion. Um, very, very clear messages that come through, and they'll come through oftentimes more than once, so I can make sure to remember them and write them down exactly. So upon awakening this day, here is the message that came flowing through me. 
says the organizing principle behind quantum coherence and the development of the individual human mind is the intention of the soul. Now, it stopped me dead. I thought, wait a minute. Of course, that makes perfect sense. What else would be the organizing principle behind how a mind and a body is going to develop in utero, except for some kind of influence from the soul that will be occupying that body? Well, it was a couple of years later when I met Bruce Lipton and interviewed him for Conscious Media Network back in that day. Um, and his book, Biology of Belief, really struck me. And one stunning example was very similar to this notion of quantum coherence and the development of the human mind, and I would add body, is the intention of the soul. And that was, he talked about a child, a, a fetus in utero, that was developing a thicker skull. And the, in the example he was giving was, this little growing being, physical being, this baby that was growing in utero, was developing a thicker skull than its genetics would call for because it was being born into a violent family. And that that particular family was going to continue, likely continue expressing itself that way. The soul knew this. And so it was growing a little thicker skull for its own protection if he was going to be knocked around a bit once he was out into the world. You can have all kinds of debates as to why anyone would choose that little body if you knew you were going to be knocked around a bit, but that's a much larger discussion about the soul and growth and learning and all that sort of thing. But this was an example he was using about the, re the epigenetic response of a being to its environment to change its own genetics. I thought, wait a minute, that sounds a lot like the soul's intention in having a hand in forming the genetic development of the being and also the mind and the way in which the mind works and coordinates its parts in working together for an outcome in a lifetime. So what's the point of life? For me, the point of life is, is actually so simple. It's not even, it's not even startling. It's, to be able to continue learning, growing, and refining, building on knowledge of the past, whether you, if you believe in past incarnations as I do, on the deep past of cycles of incarnation where we have thrown ourselves out of balance and are trying to put ourselves back in balance again, where we've chosen to advance or develop a certain part of our uh, capabilities that we haven't utilized before. To come into the flesh and do a human body is an incredible opportunity working in a place that has so much available by way of experience, uh, by way of nature in the material world, so much raw material to utilize for our experience and growth and learning in a very pleasurable way and, and more demanding ways as well. So here we have this beautiful planet, these amazing bodies and vehicles through which to learn, through which we incarnate into and through and beyond, and all with the guidance of and the permission of the soul. The soul makes these conscious choices to incarnate or not to incarnate, and it also has a hand in how it's going to manipulate the DNA so we have the vehicle that we need for the the lessons and the expression that we want to experience within a given incarnation. So 
um, Amit Goswami's work, Bruce Lipton's work, and also some of the work from my student guides along the way have all basically validated, cross-validated this idea that the soul is active and making decisions in the creative process before we're even born. And these things are going to affect our life once we're popped out into, into this reality, into this dimension in, in a little body. So starting with that, we then begin looking at how the mind itself is structured. And I find I find it so fascinating. Years ago, 20 years ago, um, I decided, more than that, 25 years ago, I went through a, a training, a course. It was a, a lengthy one on hypnosis and ultimately opened a little hypnotherapy clinic. And my specialty was regression because I love to see the patterns of how people progress and how they are locked in to unconscious reactions, emotional reactions. I'm fascinated with the dynamic of how this all works. So I spent some time, a couple years, um, in the world of hypnotherapy. And I, this is where I came to understand the subconscious mind a little bit better. People often demonize the subconscious, and you'll even see graphs of it. It's everything hidden beneath um, the iceberg, and you see the little iceberg popping above the water and everything down underneath there is a lot of truth in that. A lot of what motivates our actions, our responses, our emotions, and even desires in this lifetime is hidden from view. I mean, that's the irony of the whole thing. We incarnate with no user's guide, no memory to speak of, except for very few people, and all, no understanding of what the mind is comprised of and how to utilize it. So here we are, we have this subconscious mind, which is essentially our Akashic record. It is our library. Everything that has ever been, everything that our soul has experienced on earth or beyond earth is recorded in what is called the subconscious mind. And the purpose of it is like anything else. You have a vast library of books you've read because this is for our learning. This is for us to uh, not only contend with and extend our mortal life on earth, but to actually be able to learn past former circumstances, to grow new talents and skills and capabilities. That is all built upon the foundation of everything we've known and experienced before. And that is what is in the subconscious mind. When we incarnate the subconscious mind and the soul, and what is called the higher mind, it's just the functional aspect of the soul that can communicate with our conscious mind. Those things all incarnate together. The personality, what we call the conscious mind or lower mind in the way it functions, it will dissolve after death. It will start dissolving. But the subconscious memory bank and the higher mind soul complex, the two together, come back together with all the knowledge we've had before. And then with the inspired desire of the soul for what it wants to learn, balance out and refine in this incarnation, and it comes back together to work as a counterbalance and, and, and a pair together. So what happens is the subconscious mind also carries trauma with it. So anything that has deeply wounded, deeply frightened, uh, has left us in despair in another time, those are very dense emotions. Those emotions leave an imprint that's more powerful than an ephemeral pleasant experience, for example. And the subconscious, our library is filled 
with these kinds of events that have happened throughout our life and throughout previous lives as well. And so that is where we get our uh, reactive mind. Someone looks a certain way at us and who knows, it may have been a way someone looked at us, a teacher looked at us when we were three years old or I mean, five or six years old and we don't remember it, but we're still reacting to it. The reactive mind comes almost exclusively from the subconscious and the memory of that trauma, these denser feelings. So this is also working hand in hand with the world we're born into. We're each born into some place geographically that has a culture surrounding it, that our parents live in, that has religious institutions, educational institutions. It has a certain kind of commerce, certain kinds of foods and products that are available to it. And this begins the process of programming the way our mind works. That programs our conscious thought. And oftentimes, as a result, blocks out that incredible that incredible creativity that comes from the soul and the higher mind complex. So we need to first understand how programmed we are. Uh, this happens the moment we're born, the program set in, and we're already bringing past programs with us. But that does not have to be the tell-all and the end of our story. That is only a beginning place. Another person uh, that influenced me and whom I absolutely adored because of the, not only just the vastness of their mind, but the fact that they didn't attach too much to it and he didn't take himself too seriously, and that was Patrick Flanagan. And Patrick Flanagan once said, people don't understand how the mind works. Well, the brain itself can work as a computer. I wrote this down. He said, the, the, the brain works as a, a processing unit, but... It works like God in the creativity department. He couldn't be more correct. Our capacity for creativity is astounding. There is no limit. And most people are, are barely even tapping into this incredible capacity that is the gift of being human on planet Earth because the capacity is coupled with the notion of free will, which we have on this planet. Good for good, bad, better, worse. We, have a, we are on a free will planet and we can utilize our mind and our creative capacities however we wish. But most of us are in a patterned, habitual existence, going from day to day, thinking the same thoughts we thought the day before, doing the same things we did the day before. And when it comes to the notion of creating something new, we don't give ourselves permission. We often say to ourselves, oh, that's not practical. That's never going to happen. What would I do with that anyway? This very act of denying ourselves original thought shuts down the communication between the soul and the higher mind to the conscious lower mind, which is where everything is executed. This is a problem. When our soul, higher mind, and even the guides around us see that we're living with blinders on, we can't open our minds, we're just concerned with survival and daily life and slogging through it, then the communication really starts slowing down on the creative end, on the problem-solving end, because it can't really make it through the density of that habitual and perpetually habitual uh, way of living and way of thinking. We've all been through those stages in our life where we're just putting 
one foot ahead of the other. And when we think back on it, we think, ugh, what an exhausting way to live. Well, imagine living our entire lives like that. And some of you might be in that pattern right now and thinking, I can't stand it any longer. Well, I'm, I'm here to share the good news. It's only a thought away. You can change that. It's only a thought of way. So let's, let's take this into then, if you don't like the kind of thoughts you're having, the dullness of life, if you're not having thoughts that are zinging in from the more creative realms and giving you a sense of excitement, upliftment, expansion, those are inspired thoughts. When, you, when the energy moves up, moves out, and expands you, those are inspired thoughts. And I'm not talking about the lower kind of desire where it's like, oh, you know, I see a piece of cake over there. I really want to have that. Mmm, yum. Usually feel worse afterward and heavier afterward. Same thing with any kind of addiction, addictions we might have in a lower way. That is a lower desire. I'm talking about inspired desire, information that is coming through from a higher realm, getting our attention, make us feel, to make us feel uplifted and expanded. That's the kind of information I'm talking about. Now, if you take that and you put it together with Don Miguel Ruiz's notion that each one of us has a canvas that is called our life, that canvas and what is on, the imagery on that canvas represents the quality of our life. The quality of our life is no better and no worse than the quality of our thoughts and feelings. And it's just that simple. It is it, it is. It is mechanical. It's so simple. Think about it. Think about your own life in your own canvas. Just take a moment to think about it. If you could see your life in a canvas, just imagine in your mind right now, take a minute. What would that canvas look like? What would your painting look like? The painting of your life. Would it have a lot of harsh angles? Would it have a lot of color? Um, circles, flowers, clouds, you know, nature, would it have um, a lot of gray, a lot of black, a lot of red, a lot of anger, um, mostly right angles, things coming in counter to each other. What would that canvas look like? This is an important little exercise to go through. And I'd say if you don't have time to do it right now, just kind of bookmark this and take a few moments and just imagine with the canvas of your life would look like. And imagine what the canvas of your life would look like in an ideal way, if you could create it and understood the mechanics of creating it the way you want. See how much they might differ. You can start nudging yourself over to your more idealized painting of what your life looks like or what you want your life experience to look like. Okay, let's go a little deeper down the rabbit hole and talk about the nature of reality itself, the nature of what we are. And then we're going to go back to mind in a moment because this matters. If you were to look at yourself, if you were a being in a much, much higher dimension, one with uh, far less uh, density to it, you would look at a human being and you would just see basically a little bit of light you know, and a, and a few particles swirling around. There wouldn't be much to us. And the reason is this, there isn't anything to us. The greatest miracle, I think, of life on earth is that you can see me and hear me, um, that we can, I can touch this desk and feel the density of it, that you can feel your own body and recognize each other or anything else in the room because there's nothing there. 
When you look at it on an atomic level, there's nothing there. This is just an agreed upon perception of what a human being looks like and how somehow my soul chose to appear in this life. And I do mean chose to appear because there is nothing here. Let me explain what that means. On an atomic level, if you were to look at us, we're made of atoms, which then create molecules, cells, and, and further greater you know, expressions of life forms. You would see nothing but, you know, the saying, as above, so below. You would see nothing but what our cosmos appears to be. If you take our solar system, and the neutron in an atom is our sun, and you have the planets, of which there's only a handful, swirling around that sun, and the rest is all space. Don't even count the stars or anything else. You see just our planets and the space that surrounds the, that surrounds the planets and the sun. That's what we are, okay? Now, granted, there are some elements that have atomically more electrons swirling around the neutron, uh, radioactive stuff, radium and such. Uh, that has maybe in the 90s, 91, 2 or 3, electrons swirling around um, the neutron or planets swirling around the sun, you know, where you're looking oxygen, hydrogen, 1 or 2. Still, even with 90, it's all space. There's almost no material there. And we're living in a much lower, much something that looks much more like the solar system for most of the elements in our body. So what is there? Now, our mind and everything is mind. If you listen to the ancient texts, the Gnostics, the Hermetics, um, uh, Sri Aurobindo's work, everything is mind. What's that mean? Everything is fields of information. And my field of information may be bumping up against your field of information. This is just a field of information. So if this is virtually no mass and, inform and it's all information, this would then begin to explain things such as uh, spontaneous remissions, um, miraculous healings, people being able to do superhuman feats, makes sense if you realize there's really no mass to this mass at all. It's just information. And you can change fields of information very quickly and dramatically, even with some, some things as simple as, uh, for example, music, light, color. Now, this is why in our world today, there's a movement back toward these healing modalities, serious uh, studies, and science, after squashing these modalities in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, now there's a trend where the understanding of frequency being used as healing devices, like, as I said, light, sound, and color, for example, is starting to come back into vogue, and for good reason. We are all information. We are nothing but frequencies and information. Light, sound, color, vibration are just frequencies, and you can you can change frequencies with frequencies far more rapidly than you can take something material like popping a pill or eating food to change frequencies. That's a very slow, earthly, third-dimensional way to go about changing the information in your field to make your body healthier, for example. Same thing goes with the emotions. These emotions we have are our way of that is 
in fact, this is, I love this. I, I, I read this not long ago. It said, we've all heard the saying, a picture is worth a thousand words. This saying said, a feeling is worth a thousand thoughts. The amount of calculation that goes into just one feeling. It's drawing from the past. It's gathering from what's happening right now. It's taking the weather, you know, the temperature on some level. Feelings are very complex and often tied to the subconscious, but they can also be come in very ephemerally from the higher mind and from the soul. They, those are going to be lighter, expansive feelings where the ones coming from lower realms and from lower thought addiction and so forth are going to be heavier and addictive and grip us and pull us down. So I think each one of us can relate to that qualitative experience of feeling. What we're looking for is to be able to tap into those more inspired, refined, uplifting feelings. And then those feelings are going to lead toward more refined decisions that ultimately leads to action that's going to create an outcome that we're much more happy with. And, and that, again, then that becomes another you know element of your can on your canvas of life, another beautiful experience in life. So years ago, I used to explain to people when we had these little parties, these, these, um, manifestation parties around our vision boards, I used to explain something to them. When you're looking at your you have a stack of magazines and your, your little you know, scissors and glue and your poster board, when you're going through and you're looking at the images, do not allow the mind to engage. This is where we don't want lower mind involved. You say, oh yeah, I've always wanted to go on a vacation to Greece. No, mm -mm, it's not that. You go through and I, I would tell them, do the pages very quickly, turn them very quickly, turn, turn. When something just grabs you and takes your breath away where there's an upliftment and excitement, tear that image out. Do not look at it. Put it in a pile. Don't look at it. Okay. Keep turning. Now you may end up with a pile of images. You may end up with one. It doesn't really matter. Anything that spoke to you on that level of that just took your breath away for that nanosecond, that is a more subtle voice speaking to you. It might be something like a page that just had a lot of yellow on it. That has a very specific vibrational meaning. That's information that your being is somehow calling for, okay? Your being is, is wanting to experience yellow for some reason, usually as a way of balancing or refining something out. So it doesn't matter if it's that. It could be a baby smiling where you're just so captivated by this little baby smiling or a puppy, it doesn't matter. Or a beautiful scene in nature, doesn't matter. Whatever it is, rip it out. It could be the word, yes. <laughs> Something as simple as the word, yes. It's like, yes, I need more yeses in my life. Rip it out, okay? Now, in my case, I found that I generally did have good luck with my vision boards, but that is exactly how I approached it. It was like, no mind, no mind, no mind. Yes, no mind, no mind. Yes. And so I was full of a pile of, from my solar plexus and from my heart, this little whisper of yes, this little breath that was caught. And that's what my pile of images was made from, meaning it was speaking to me from a deeper place. 
I would assemble them on my board, and usually in a short period of time, most things would happen, almost to a crazy extreme extent. But my friends would be frustrated, like, my board didn't happen. How come you're so lucky? I say, you know, I remember I watched you do your board. You spent a lot of time analyzing, thinking, looking at the practicality and what you had wanted in the past. Oh, I always said I was going to do this, all these obligatory things. And those are the images you tore out. That's not speaking from a higher place of creativity. So that would be, I mean, that's a very kind of visceral, simple way to explain to you how that phenomenon works and why it doesn't work for most people. That's a secret that the secret never told you is unless you really get these basic fundamental principles of understanding how the higher mind works, it's not going to work for you anyway. And you'll notice that the people in the documentary that were able to accomplish a lot of this usually also had an extended career in human potential and an under a deeper understanding of how the mind works as well. That's why it worked for them. But the average person, you don't know this. They don't, no one teaches us this, right? Yeah. So we just have to find our own way in this life with no memory with where we bring no memory in with us. So as we're constructing our life, understanding the more we can free ourselves from our habitual thought and play with our thoughts, like Patrick Lanigan has said, play with your thoughts. Many of his solutions to problems he was looking for came by just playing with thought. Loosening, imagine what that feels like to just play with your thoughts and go places you haven't been before. Now, the soul and the higher mind know that you're ready to play. You're ready to receive new information. You're ready to start breaking the habitual pattern thinking of your life. Once this happens, that's where all the magic begins. Each one of us has something in us that we came to express or balance out or refine. Every one of us is an incredibly creative being at our core, if we give ourselves the permission to play with our thoughts and our ideas, they don't have to result in anything. It doesn't have to be anything that results in a physical manifested object or making more money or anything of the like. This is for the pure joy of being human and being on this earth, allowing ourselves to experience life in fresh and new, more joyful ways. So at the end of the day, if we understand, the subconscious is there to inform us and keep us safe. It also informs us of some of the trauma of the past. We don't have to hang tight to it. We don't have to create more trauma and more drama off of it. We don't have to buy into it. Just understand this is something informing us. If you choose to go to a hypnotherapist and figure out why you're so afraid of fire or knives or whatever, go for it. But you can pretty much guess. You probably had uh, some... Um, uncomfortable encounters with these things in the past or you wouldn't come out of the womb terrified of these things. So that's, that's an easy one to read. Understand that the higher mind and the soul and the subconscious incarnate together as a package, but the way you live your life and express your life, which is, shows itself as the conscious mind or lower mind functioning in the world, that's something that's developed fresh with each lifetime. That's what can either be highly creative and fun. I mean, people you can inspire people, or you can live a really dull, dark, patterned life and bore yourself to death. This actually is a choice. You don't have to live like that. 
but it all starts with freeing yourself from this habituated thought. Dare to think a new idea. Play with your food. Play with your your mental food, okay? Play with your ideas. Before you go to bed at night, imagine something that you haven't ever thought of before. Maybe invent something. Maybe go to a place that doesn't even exist on this planet and just play it out and watch what happens. Watch how the mind starts bringing in now new thoughts during your creative awake hours, new solutions to you, how your mind starts becoming more discriminating and more sovereign. This is a very big deal in this time where truth is irrelevant, it seems, where chaos is at hand. As uh, I interviewed recently, both Robert Phoenix and Simon Chukoisky, both are astrologers, one Western and one Vedic. And they said, yeah, we're in a period of time called the outsider, revolutionary times. Revolutionary times really require sovereignty of mind. That's when you don't want to be uh, part of what they call sheeple. You don't want to be a sheep in revolutionary times. You want to be able to discern, stand back, have original thought, and think clearly for yourself, and create a better outcome. That is your right, your absolute right as a human being, and you have those built-in innate abilities to do so if you just reclaim your thoughts and your feelings for yourself. If you decide this is the quality of painting I want my wife life to represent. This is what I want my canvas to look like. And no, I'm not going to allow anybody else to paint on my canvas. Your opinion of what I'm doing is your business, not mine. You know, just because an educational institution or someone that was older, uh, more well-educated than us told us this is the way it's done and you feel it's not right for you, don't do it. Take back your thoughts, and you're never too old and you're never too young to free ourselves from this pattern thinking and start thinking in new, more fun, more original ways, and then watch the magic happen. See what happens. I mean, for me, I've been kind of stuck in a rut about about moving my body and exercising. I'm so kind of happy in my, my head and in my creative mind and doing other uh, pleasures of the head that I almost forget I even have a body I can move around in. And I used to be a passionate dancer. So I too have fallen in these traps of habituation and forgetting to engage in this beautiful physical life around me. So my solution is I went out and bought a pair of tap shoes yesterday. (laughs) Then next week I start adult tap classes. I'm going to tap my way into a fun new pixel on my canvas of life. For you, what do you want to add to your canvas? You know, you can always paint over. You can always take a bucket of white and just take a whole portion of it and say, eh, I'm doing a redo on this one. And then take your time to authentically fill that place on the canvas with something that's born out of inspired thought, out of something that comes from you, the greater you, the higher you, um, the higher mind, the soul, whatever whatever you choose to call it, something coming from the inspired part of yourself, let that be new on your canvas and start letting the rest, the habituated things we've created, these identities we have created that aren't serving us any longer, just slowly, slowly start letting it go. And one way to do that, by the way, is to use your imagination. 
if you have a part of your identity, it's like, oh, I'm only known as a mom. All I do is serve other people. And that's your whole identity. Or I'm an engineer for, you know, an aerospace company. And that's what I do. That, that's, that's what I do. Well, if those things go away, who are you? What do you do, right? So you want to have a much deeper, more intricate sense of what self is, because oftentimes those very identities and our holding like concrete to them are what is stopping these finer impulses and ideas and inspirations from coming through to take us on a more expanded journey. So let's go, let's let go of some of the old stuff in any way we know how. And, and I'd say through practicing in your mind, see what it feels like to let go of those identities. Who are you without that identity? Play with it. It's wonderful. Before you go to sleep at night, there's no one around. No one can tell you what to do or hijack your mind. Take a little time to start playing with your thoughts. Think something new, as Patrick Flanagan would say. He says, you know, people don't use their minds in very interesting ways. We have to be more interesting in the way we use our mind. That was Patrick. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with him. Couldn't agree more with Don Miguel Ruiz. This is our life we created. I couldn't agree more with Bruce Lipton, Biology of Belief and Epigenetics. This expression of us is our creation, at least in part, if not in good part. And Amit Goswami, his contribution is saying, look, this is the most amazing opportunity to incarnate into a physical body with, you know, a CPU for a mind that can, pro or a brain that can process this great large mind, create new experiences and learn new things. Because you know what? Once you're out of the body, some people are in so much pain in life, they want to be out of their body. But once you're out, you don't make the same kind of progress. Same things aren't learned. This this is it. This is where everything happens. Right here, as long as we're in the earth matrix and we continue incarnating to earth, and as long as we're in the process of learning about the finer virtues within ourselves, higher capacities in terms of our emotions and our thoughts toward others, as long as we're in this, it plays out right here, ground zero, on terra firma. So I say, let's enjoy every minute of it. Let's start having a little bit juicier experience by expanding our mind. Let's let go of some of the identities that aren't really serving us anymore. Hey, get your own pair of tap shoes or your version of that. <laughs> Until next time, thank you for joining me here on ReginaMeredith.com. <laughs>